Radio Drome. Radio Drome is back, and so is Brad Jones. Hey, how's it going? You know how it's going. We talked earlier tonight. <laughs> Shut up, you. <laughs> never talks enough, never asserts himself, the Marquis de Suede, Alex Jowski. I am here, and I am assertive. And you're banging crap in the background, because that's just what you do. Oh, yeah, the, the, no, I'm, I do that. Before we get into tonight's topic, <laughs> if you want to really find something to bang, why don't you go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME to get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, free U.S. shipping, and a free mystery gift. I'm sure there's something you can stick your dick in that you'll get. Using promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. This envelope is hot. Did you see how I transitioned from him banging in the background right into that? I'm smooth, wasn't I? Very smooth. Smooth as shit from a duck's ass. All right, now tonight we are going to talk about the biggest box office bombs ever. But before that, I want to ask you guys, what constitutes a box office bomb? Is it a movie that just doesn't make back its budget theatrically, but might later for on cable or home video? Or is it something that just never makes back its budget? Or... Is it something that's relative, such as that movie Creature from Sid Haig that came out a couple of years ago? It only made about 10% of its budget in the theater. It only cost $3 million, which is a relatively low number for a mass-release movie. Is that such a bomb, really? It, it's a bomb. $3 million is a lot of money. But it made back its and, budget I mean, on home video. That's why it, I'm asking yeah, for the distinction. Yeah, 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 but a lot of movies do that. There's a lot of movies that are on a list of the biggest box office bombs that eventually, over time, broke even on video or cable and stuff like that. Yeah, if it loses money at the box office, if it doesn't break even, if it doesn't make its money back, yeah, that's a bomb. It doesn't matter how much it costs. It doesn't matter if it costs $3 million and made 500000 or it cost a hundred million and made back twenty million. A bomb is still a bomb. One is certainly a bigger bomb than the other one, but you know, bomb's still a bomb. So that's that's what I go by. I don't. But if it does break, if a movie does break, even though I don't consider that a bomb, I don't. You'll see uh, people talking about they that they consider Steven Spielberg's 1941 to be a bomb, even though it made its money back at the box office even though it broke even at the box office it's just that they wanted it to make more so the, yeah the, it's, they it's, were basically blaming it for not being a hit basically yeah it's like that doesn't that's not that's not a bomb you, you can call that a disappointment sure but that doesn't mean it's a bomb hell uh even uh caligula broke even at the box office granted guccione was charging an arm and a leg for ticket prices when it came out but uh, that even broke even, and that's considered to be about... I, I think if a movie breaks even, you can call it a disappointment, certainly. Certainly you can. But bomb, in my personal opinion, it's got to lose money for it to be a bomb. Well, the term box office bomb obviously means just it bombed at the box office. So whatever it made on home video doesn't matter in the definition of a bomb. I think it has to tank way more than they expected because a lot of the movies on the list we're going to be looking at people thought hey this movie's going to make a ton of money 
and they dumped all kinds of stuff into marketing and whatnot, and yeah, it didn't pan out like they thought it would. And the list we're going to look at is the Wikipedia list. We're going to go relatively chronologically, but we're going to be skipping some because there are movies on this that I've never seen. I've already talked to Alex and Brad, and I know you guys haven't seen some of these, so well, we're just going to also... skip over some of them, too. There's also some we talked we've talked about before and like the the couple of worst of episodes we did. Yeah, because it's isn't it funny how those two lists overlap? Yeah, I mean, and and at least with like uh, you know movies on a box office bomb list, and you know bomb it doesn't mean bad. So sometimes it does. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it does mean that. But there's, take a look at Dread. Dread was a ex- bomb too, technically. Exactly. Exactly, and this is something that drives me nuts. Like. Because too much in when you look at a lot of different articles, when you look a lot at a lot of different articles in terms of like media, like they they equate bomb with meaning that oh that must mean the movie's terrible, that must mean the movie sucks. I I, I don't know, I can't remember what website it was, but it was talking about the flops of 2012, and I'm like okay, but the problem with the article is that it was making them sound like they were actual bad movies and so they had dread on there and it said like this turned out to be dreadful or something no that's not what that means well and it, means I, I it, remember, it was a damn good movie it just happened to not do well at the box it, it office. didn't it didn't find its audience yeah. but but look at how many movies that are now look at look at john carpenter's the thing yeah that didn't do crap for business in 82 i mean it broke even so it's uh-huh. not a bomb but that found its audience on home video. Look at Buckaroo Banzai, Big Trouble in Little China. Even yeah. Escape from New York didn't make back its money initially. Some movies just have to find their audience. Sometimes it yeah. takes time. Sometimes there's it's just it comes out at a at the wrong time. Like in the case of Grindhouse, a movie that just comes out at the wrong time. Maybe doesn't have enough advertising, or maybe in the case of Dread, there were people who you know the who were equating it with the Stallone one when they heard that there was a Dread movie coming out. They're like, oh, well, that can't possibly be good. It's going to be like the Stallone one. And then movie comes out. Word of mouth on it is great. But by the time people hear the word of mouth, the movie was already gone. But in the case of that, it found its audience. When it got on video, it was a big hit and eventually found its audience. Yeah, and that's the thing with a lot of the movies on this list is they're not necessarily bad. That's... They bombed not because they were bad, but because marketing or just couldn't find its audience in theaters. Well, and then there's also the fact, like like Brad, you brought up that that doesn't necessarily mean the movie's bad. The exact opposite is true as well. Just because a movie is popular or makes a ton of money doesn't mean it's good. I remember on a really early radio drone, you and I were going off on Michael Bay. Uh-huh. And in one of the comments, somebody said, well, clearly this, the first Transformers... Clearly this movie is good. It's one of the most profitable movies of all time, so that means it's good. That's the kind of specious logic that gives me headaches. That, oh, I hate that logic too. That's just an idiot saying an idiotic thing. If you actually show him a list of movies that made a hell of a profit, I'm sure this moron would be like, Oh, hey, I think my brain is functioning right now. Some of these movies kind of suck. And what do you know? I can also do math now. The first one on the Wikipedia list is 1964's Fall of the Roman Empire. I've never even heard of this one. Either of you? Yeah, yeah, I've seen I've seen bits and parts. You know, I mean, it, it it's just one of those movies that it's not that it's not ne- it's it's not that it's necessarily bad. It, it's just one of those 
rather large budgeted, uh, very ambitious flicks that probably would have been kind of hard for it to make its money back. Granted, it it's, it it certainly didn't do very well, but it was one of those big Cleopatra style costume flicks. It cost nineteen million and only made just under five million in yeah. nineteen sixty four dollars. Adjusted for inflation, its net loss was $105,483,637. Yeah, that's that's a bomb. Yeah, that's that, a bomb. That's, that's pretty accurate there, Josh. <laughs> well, that's what it says, so... <laughs> to the um, penny. <laughs> to well, the penny. It's almost like you read it from the list. <laughs> imagine that. I can read. Um, <laughs> I've never seen the, the Molly Maguires. I know of Lost Horizon and the Blue Bird. Any, you guys familiar with those three at all? No, I have not. I those movies I haven't seen. And then we've got the train wreck that was "Can't Stop the Music." Ooh. Brad, I know this one's right up your alley. What? Can't stop the music? Yeah, yeah. I like uh, I like a couple of uh, Village People songs. Certainly, uh, movie's not very good, uh, but <laughs> that's, that's so- putting it mildly. Yeah. Uh, Soundtrack is all right. Um, it could make a uh, decent uh, triple feature with Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and The Apple. <laughs> <laughs> well, it cost $20 million in 1980 and only made back two. Yep, that's a bomb. I actually yeah. didn't know that Can't Stop the Music existed because people had mentioned, oh, the Village People did a movie too. And I'm like, no, no, they didn't. Yes, they, they did. Because it, it probably came out a few years later than it should have. <laughs> yeah, a few is being generous. <laughs> well, and, and then we go to a movie that Brad and I have talked about numerous times, Heaven's Gate, which cost $44 million, and I think that number's wrong because that's the initial budget, wasn't it? The, no, the initial budget was much lower. Okay. The initial budget was under $10 million. Because I, I remember that just kept going over and yeah. over, and they kept throwing money at it. And even with all of the money they threw at it, it only made just over $3 million at the box office in 1980. And it's a movie that, over time, has been better. I mean, we've talked about this before. Yeah. It's been better received now than it was in 1980. And I know, Alex, you said you haven't seen that one yet. No, I probably should, though. We've talked about it like three weeks in a row going on now. <laughs> <laughs> and now, I do. I am not familiar with Honky Tonk Freeway from 1981. I saw the poster and laughed at it. Well, it cost $24 million, made just over 2 mm-hmm. So, bomb. Then we've got another one that I'm unfamiliar with. Yes, Giorgio, 1982. Obviously, audiences said no, Giorgio. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got one that I know Alex loves, One from the Heart. I don't love that movie. That movie lost a lot. It, yeah. It cost $26 million in 82 and only made just over $600,000. That's think- a pretty big bu- – it didn't even make back 10% of its budget. Yeah, that movie that. is the reason that Francis Ford Coppola went from directing The Godfather and Apocalypse Now to directing things like Jack. Yeah, and it's not a terrible movie, One from the Heart. It's 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 not. It that was the final nail in the coffin of the new Hollywood movement. Um, I can see that, yeah. When when that movie was released, but it's like Heaven's Gate, it it's not it's not terrible. Its problem with going over budget was that instead of actually shooting on location in Vegas, they rebuilt Vegas on a soundstage. I've yeah. never understood the logic of that. I, I hear that on quite a few movies that where you go, wow, it really looks like they're you know in Miami or Africa or wherever, and they're like, no, man, we just recreated it. 
I don't understand how that's cheaper. I really don't. Just couldn't secure permits or anything like that. Maybe they just couldn't couldn't secure rights to shoot in certain locations. And then we go to one of Brad's favorite boring movies, Inchon. Forty-six million dollars in 1982 made just over five million, which eh, t- compared to some of the ones on this list, it didn't do that bad at the box office. Yeah, I mean that that's that's one of those cases where there was no chance it was gonna make that back that it was going to make that kind of money back like the reason between that and town and country it's like there was no chance town and country was going to make a hundred million dollars inchon is just boring that's that's it really it's it's uninteresting it, there, there's a reason why there's a reason why it's it's one of it's one of the top bombs but no one really talks about it online much no one really it's not like you'll see like it's not like you'll see a nostalgia critic episode on Inchon, you know. There's just not that much to it. It's it's just an uninteresting movie. I remember one of the reviews when it came out, I found in an old like Cinema Fantastique or something, said it it, it was it should have been called Inch Along because that's what happens with the movie. It just inches along and you stop caring. Yeah, that that's true. That that really is true. Now next, one of my favorite films. I loved this film as a kid. I can see where all the money went. 1983's Krull cost uh-huh. 50 million, making back just under 17. That's not that bad, although its budget did offset it. Krull was a damn good movie, I think. And Krull, that's a movie too that I always forget was a bomb. You know, some movies, some movies, you know, just become cult classics over time, and they kind of lose the stigma of being a flop back in the day. So I see Krull on here, and I'm like, oh. Okay, yeah, that that did lose a decent amount of money. All right, I think it's that fun. one. I think that one made most of it back. That was another cable TV staple. They yeah. made a lot of money off of HBO and Cinemax. I watched it on Disney Channel. Is it a Disney movie? No, but back in the late '80s, Disney Channel showed a lot of stuff that wasn't really Disney. They showed all the Planet of the Apes movies. Those are 20th Century Fox. What the hell? Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Next one, The Cotton Club. I can see where the $58 million budget went. In the 80s, creating 1950s Chicago probably was not cheap, but it, it, it made back almost half its budget of $25 million at the box office. That's not that bad, again, compared to some of the movies on this list. Well, I mean, it didn't make, I mean, it only made back half of its budget. That's not good. But it's uh... not as bad as some of the other ones, especially the ones we're going to get to later. Yeah, but but I mean the the thing about the Cotton Club though is that that see that's a movie that by all accounts bombed, but it was well reviewed. It was a well reviewed film. It, it even now more so than back then. Really, it has it has a following of people who really like it. Critics, there's certainly a lot of critics who really did. It's it's not a bad film. It isn't, and yeah, you can you can see the money on the screen, but it it looked good. It's a good looking film. It, again, that one I think is just it didn't find its audience at the time. No, yeah, I agree with that. No, I've never seen 1985's Revolution with Al Pacino. That's a cost, mess. It, it cost 28 million. Only made ba- it didn't even make back four hundred thousand dollars. That that's a bomb. A, that's that movie's a mess. I think I think Pacino even it was a few years before Pacino did another movie. I think his next movie after that was like Sea of Love. It, it, it revolution is just that's hard to watch. It's it's poorly made. It's poorly written. The acting is 
is questionable. You have several good actors in the movie, and it's hard to watch, especially this accent that Pacino is using through the whole thing. I haven't seen it, but when I read about it in prep for this episode, it sounded like it would have been a disaster waiting to happen. Because it was just like, Al Pacino is caught up in the Revolutionary War. I'm like, oh, oh no, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then next we go to... I, I, I stumbled into this movie by accident because I was actually thinking it was a different film that was out at the same time. Roman Polanski's Pirates from 1986. $40 million made back six. I kept thinking it was the pirate movie. That's that Zucker Brothers style spoof one. I, I used to, that was another cable TV staple. I stumbled upon this one day going, why isn't it funny? This is just dumb. It is. It's just dumb. Yeah, that movie kind of killed the pirate genre for a little while, didn't it? <laughs> for, for a little 20 years. Yeah, just a little bit, you know, only 20 years. <laughs> that yeah, that movie's just I I don't I I like I like Cutthroat Island way better than I like Pirates. Oh, we'll be talking about Cutthroat Island. Oh, we'll, sure, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll get there. Then next we come to a movie Alex loves. The Garbage Pail Kids movie from 1987, costing 30 million, making back 1 and a half million. This film never had a chance to me. It was bad script, bad direction, terrible acting, a bad idea from the get-go. I don't know where they thought this was going to do $30 million worth of box office. I just don't see it. No, a couple years ago, friends of mine that were like nostalgia junkies were talking about how great they remembered this movie, how much they loved it, and then I watched it. I'm like, no, your, your memory's wrong. I was not into Garbage Pail Kids when I was young. I didn't collect those cards. I didn't get into any of that stuff. So when the movie came out in 87, yeah, of course I remember it coming out, but I didn't see it. I had no interest in seeing it. I didn't see this movie until I was way older. And yeah, it it was about as good as I thought it would be. (laughs) That's not even a movie that I think of as being like, oh, that notorious box office flop Garbage Pail Kids movie. It's just more like, Oh, that terrible movie, The Garbage Pail Kids. No, I see. I can't even find uh, you know hipster humor in it. I can't. It's just bad. Now, next we get to a movie that I did not see for good twenty years because my mom went to see Ishtar in the theater and she told me how bad it was. I was twelve, and I just never cared enough to actually want to see it until I was in my thirties. Ishtar, I I think Ishtar is pretty funny. Where it's supposed I, to be, or funny bad? You no, know, it's it. The movie's a comedy. The the movie's a comedy, and and there's you know there's nothing worse than a bad comedy. I didn't think this was a bad comedy. I thought it was funny. I laughed in the places I was supposed to laugh. I thought it was a I thought it was a relatively entertaining movie. I thought the two actors had good chemistry together. I genuinely liked the story. I liked. I thought it was kind of clever about these two terrible lounge singer guys who were just awful and go to perform in this in Ishtar and get caught up in this like revolution and stuff like I I, and then you have Charles Grodin in there being grumpy crotchety Charles Grodin. I thought it was funny. I, I did. And and when I watched it, I I was probably in high school when I saw it. I, I rented it. And I rented it, hearing how bad it was supposed to be, how much it bombed, and so I, it's not like I went into it thinking I was going to like it, and I watched it and was like, 
this isn't that bad. That that's what I think now as as in my, the thirty year old me seeing it. But I don't know if if I had seen this in eighty seven if I would have walked away with that same philosophy of it. I watched it on cable when I was like eleven, and I thought it was boring. But that's because I was eleven. And I haven't gone back and given the movie a second chance. If and, I saw it when I was like 11, I wouldn't have enjoyed it either. And this is the movie that ended Elaine May's career. Yeah. And for years, Ishtar became the punchline for an over-budget movie and a box office bomb. Even more than Chimino did with, with Heaven's Gate, Ishtar became that punchline. Which yeah. not, now, thankfully, we have Pluto Nash, but we'll get to that. Then we go to a movie that I know Diamanda Hagen absolutely loves. I don't love this movie, nor do I hate it, but I can see why The Adventures of Baron Munchausen bombed in 1988. I I think the audience just was not ready in 88 for a movie like this. No, it's a very, in 88, that's a very niche audience we're looking at here for something like that. And And for that movie to make its money back with a $46 million budget, uh, that's, that'd be kind of hard that'd be a little difficult for a very specific audience that that movie is going for um i don't think it's a bad film i i don't think it's a bad film at all i i think it's entertaining i think it's i think it's fun i haven't seen it in 20 years but it's a movie okay yeah it's a movie i saw i was probably like 11 or 12 and as an 11 or 12 year old i liked it i've seen baron munchausen a few times over the years and i like most of it when I got a crush on Uma Thurman back in high school, I went back and watched it again. It's okay, yeah, but I can agree with you that that movie would not have found its audience when it came out. All right, and then next we go to, I don't know anything about this one, Old Gringo, 1989. Either of no. you? No. Well, then, nope. we, then, we, then we go to one that uh, Doug Walker has reviewed, Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. I don't understand how that cost $35 million. Me neither, really. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't even know that that was a huge. I, I know the movie. I, I remember when it came out. I, I didn't know it was a big bomb. I, I never saw it. I just saw trailers for it and was like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna pass. Whatever. It's not for me. I'm not gonna see that. But this is one of those like, I don't think like, oh, that like you know, like we were saying earlier, like I, I don't. Think of that really as being like, oh, Little Nemo, that movie that was a huge flop. I just think of it as like, oh, that Slumberland movie that I didn't go see. It Whatever. existed. Yeah. Well, I didn't even know it existed when it first came out. I like played the Nintendo game that was based that came from the movie, and then when I found out it was a movie, just like twenty years after the fact, did I go back and watch it and go, oh, it's, it's okay. <laughs> well, then next we move to another one I have not seen, 1990's Havana. Brad? No. no. Alex? Nope. And then we go to, now I have not read the book, so I don't know how close the book of Bonfire of the Vanities is to the movie. I've been told they changed everything, and that's why Bonfire of the Vanities bombed in 1990. This is the kind of movie where if you don't know the major, major changes between the book and the movie you might not think it's terrible but when you do when you do know what was changed and how wrong a lot of the casting was it doesn't really work it's it's not a it's it's not a good it's not a very good adaptation and the stuff that's changed 
it's not changed for the better. I mean, there's plenty of movies that take a lot of liberties from the books and actually kind of make some changes for the better, really. This isn't one of them. Or at least, like, you can forgive changes that are made, but this isn't one of them. It's hard to forgive a lot of the changes that were made, and it's kind of distracting, and it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work as good as the source material does. Never saw it and haven't read the book, mostly because... I didn't like the author from reading another book of his. Well, all right, now we go on to... Now, this movie deserved its bomb status, but at the same time, I see where all the budget went. Wrong, straight from conception. Why Dan Aykroyd seemed to think Texas Chainsaw Massacre would serve as a nice sitcom? Nothing but trouble. I saw it in the theater. <laughs> I did, too. and Because I remember this was all over Fangoria and Starlog and Entertainment Tonight. They were pumping this thing up. And, and am I wrong saying that for whatever reason, Dan Aykroyd seemed to think Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this could be a sitcom. Let's make a movie out of it, right? Y- yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, I appreciate the movie. It's got killer makeup effect in it. It oh, the really effects, does. The effects, the sets, all that is amazing. It is. It's really, am- that stuff's amazing. And it's, it's not an unoriginal film, but I mean, like, you know, original doesn't necessarily mean good. If you want the same effect with a much, much better movie, watch The Burbs. That does really kind of comedic, uh, comedic, creepy horror, satirical stuff like that way better than Nothing But Trouble does. Nothing But Trouble is really, it's, it's very ugly. And not in a good way. It's just it's, it's ugly in an you know eyeball offensive way. It's and 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 at the end of the day, it's it just wasn't really that funny. And it, it's nicely dated to 1991 when one of the people that goes before Dan Aykroyd as the judge is the Humpty Dance guy. Way to stay relevant, Aykroyd. Oh, I I forgot about that. I saw it on cable like a year ago or something. It was on late night. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw it on Netflix about a year ago, and I didn't even know that that was the Humpty Dance guy. I just thought it was some guy. Well, what's your thoughts on Nothing But Trouble, Alex? It's it's a bitter movie. It it's just has... It's, comedy isn't there very funny, so it ends up coming off as just rather mean-spirited. Yeah, and like I said, it's... Who thought Texas Chainsaw Massacre needed more humor? And not in a Toby Hooper way, right? Yeah, and like Brad said, The Burbs is better, which is the exact same thing I told Josh about that movie last night. <laughs> yeah, hell, even like uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show has similar material than Nothing But Trouble and is way better than Nothing But Trouble. Yeah, and I remember, like, I think Entertainment Tonight had a running series, Nothing But Disasters, because yeah. cause the $40 million was not its budget. It kept running over and over and over, and this was like a... Heaven's Gate, where they just kept throwing money at it, hoping something would gel, and it just didn't. And then we go to, you know what? Screw all the critics. I really think Hudson Hawk is funny where it's supposed to be funny. I'm with I really, you on that. I really like Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk is a funny movie, and it doesn't take itself seriously at all. Just look at all of Butterfinger's lines. You think that was ever meant to be taken seriously? I mean, one of the villains is a dog. I mean, like, you know, like, you know, I, funny, I, ball, ball. Yeah. Ball, ball. I think the movie's funny and I agree with you. It is funny where it's supposed to be funny. It's, it's really, really goofy. And you know, it's, it's, 
to me, okay, this is a movie that's original and original in a good way. It took a while. It it did take a little while. For, I didn't really care much for it when I first saw it. I first saw it when it hit video. In I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I didn't see it in the theater. I, I saw it when it hit video. And then back then, I didn't I didn't care for it when I first saw it. And then later on down the road, watched it again and got a much bigger appreciation for what that movie was was going for. I watched it when it came to cable and loved it. And I can't remember how old I was at the time, but it was because of Hudson Hawk that I decided I like cappuccinos now. Uh, I, I believe they call it faggy coffee in the in the movie. It Hudson Hawk made me want to have a cappuccino too. I had I I did I had my first cappuccino because of Hudson Hawk. Are, I didn't even know what sure? to get. You sure you were 19- gonna go for a goat cheese pizza? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, and then we go to Christopher Columbus: The Discovery. Never saw it. I saw the trailer and went, "This isn't for me." So, Brad, I I saw both of these Columbus movies. One of them was good, one of them was bad, because that's always the case when you have two similar freaking things like this that come out at the exact same time. Christopher Columbus, The Discovery, was just kind of boring and mildly campy, honestly, with Marlon Brando's performance in it. But the 1492 Conquest of Paradise, uh, that one was pretty good. I didn't see that one either, because I just, again, went, meh. It's it you know it's it's nothing I'd watch again. I haven't seen them since they came out, and I I I I probably will never see them again. But one of them did the material right, and the other didn't. The only one I ever saw was fourteen ninety two. I think that's the Ridley Scott one. Yeah, it is. And I watched that in school, and. I was bored to tears by it, except for just one scene where Gerard Depardieu smacks a native woman's ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now the next two I have not heard of, both from 93, Heaven and Earth and The House of the Spirits. I've never seen either. Oh, uh, House of the Spirits, no. But uh, he- Heaven and Earth, yeah, yeah, that's the Oliver Stone movie. That's the, the non-flick that he did. Oh, that- the, the one where the guy comes back with the Vietnamese wife? Yeah, the Tommy Lee Jones. Okay, one. I've never actually seen that one. It's it. I like it. I mean, again, it, it's one that I. It's not like I'm ever gonna see that movie again. Between his Vietnam movies, Platoon, Born on the Fourth of July, are way better than Heaven and Earth. Heaven and Earth, it's very, very melodramatic. But the acting is great. Soundtrack is great. I mean, that stuff carries the movie. Oliver Stone did a hell of a job directing it, of course. But yeah, it, that that's one that. But now I'm like, oh, did that bomb? Oh, okay. Well, I guess it bombed. You know, it's not. Ex- I don't think it's. I, I, obviously, it's not a very memorable movie because you forgot about, about yeah. it. Looking at the title, you yeah. Know? Uh, it, but that's one of those ones that I just. Oh yeah, that was an Oliver Stone flick, wasn't it? And it's not bad. I've never seen either. And House of the Spirits looks and sounds like something I would never ever watch. It's a boring period piece with a bunch of boring people in it. Which Why would br- I watch House of the Spirits? Which kind of brings us to our next movie, which I think deserved... I can't believe it made back $16 million of its $48 million budget. Baby's Day Out. Oh, my. Who the hell thought that Warner Brothers seven-minute cartoon just needed to be made into a whole movie starring Joe freaking Montaigne? F that movie. Joe Montaigne wasn't uh, Joey 
Joe, Joe Pantoliano, one of them. Yeah, I think he. I think I think he was one too. Yeah. I remember that I've seen that movie. That movie's terrible. It's like, okay, let's rip off this cartoon because you know Home Alone's popular now, and we can you know just have slapsticky situations with some bumbling thieves like. John Hughes wrote in every single one of his movies in the 90s. Doesn't but, uh, one of them get raped by a gorilla, or am I? Or is that a different movie? I, I'm, no, I'm it's that. Right. No, that's this movie. It's 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 that one. Um, and I remember the teaser trailer for that movie being wildly not what the movie was about. The teaser trailer for it was showing ambulances, ambulances, fire trucks, police SWAT members, police officers, like. Oh my god, he's here. What do we do? Oh, there he is. And the baby like walks around the corner and he's the size of a building. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Oh, I do. I do. Cuz I remember I remember being like, isn't it a little early to be remaking Honey I Blew Up the Kid? But then the movie comes out I'm like, oh, well it's not about that at all. It's a live action Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah, still looks terrible. I watched that movie, I was 14, and my parents went to go see True Lies, which I wanted to see, but it was rated R, so they sent my sister and I to see Baby's Day Out. (laughs) I saw True Lies in the theater. (laughs) I threw a huge fit after the movie, like walked out of dinner and everything about, I'm never going to watch that kitty shit again. Well, then we go to a movie I think deserves the ire that it got, North. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Rob Reiner. I swear, Rob Reiner was just tripping on shrooms for that into the entire year of 1994. It's the only way to explain North. This movie okay. lost 33 million dollars, and it should have lost more. This movie, Roger Ebert was not wrong. No, he wasn't. Even and 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 what's really yeah, North North is terrible. It it's bad. It's it's not funny. It's it's awkward. It's the plot. It's how, racist. How the hell? Do, how the hell do you make a movie out of that plot? But and it's uh, quite racist too. And not even like and and it does and it's bad at it. It, it, it it's really bad at it because it's not funny. But uh, it, the guy who wrote the book that it's based on was on Letterman uh, a year or so ago, maybe I think. And it was really funny because he was. He started talking about it, and he goes, yeah, they made a movie out of uh, one of my books, uh, North. Didn't go so well. Uh, Here, let me read you some sample uh, reviews. And he pulled out Roger Ebert's review. (laughs) (laughs) I watched it when it came to cable and hated it and forgot about it until I think it was after the Nostalgia Critic, it became popular to hate that movie again. I happened to catch it on ABC Family, and I'm like, yep, it still sucks. I, yeah, I did not see it in the theater. I saw it in maybe 95 or 96, because, yeah, it was on cable or something. All right, and then next we go to another one I haven't seen. It's it's one of the Coens I have not seen. 1994's The Hudsucker Proxy. I like The Hudsucker Proxy. I think it's quirky and fun. It is. I, I haven't seen it, so I'm um, not saying it isn't. I'm just, it lost... $38 million from his $40 yeah. million dollar budget. So it mm. bombed hard. Yeah. I watched it on Showtime when it first premiered on Showtime, and they kind of advertised, we're showing the Hudsucker Proxy to where I thought the movie was made for cable. I didn't know it had a theatrical release. 
Now, next we go to two I have not seen, 1994's Love Affair and 1995's Wild Bill. Either of you? Wild Bill is good. That's the Jeff Bridges one. I have um, not seen that one at all. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good movie. Love Affair, I I know what it is, but I I, I didn't I didn't see it. Now the next one, oh, I, I love this movie, and I can see where the budget went, and I just can't see why this didn't click with 1995 audiences. Strange Days, that movie I I absolutely love. I think Strange Days, Brad, you talked about how original doesn't always mean good, but sometimes. I think the problem with this movie is it was the first really big budget cyberpunk movie with an A-list cast that bombed. I wouldn't say that at the time the cast was A-list. Ray Fiennes wasn't really an A-list name in 19. Well, and you got Tom Sizemore and Angela Bassett and not these aren't Juliet Lewis and Juliet Lewis was why I watched it. Okay, Juliet Lewis in 1995. Yeah, but no one else. Don't don't get me wrong though. I I think the movie's great. I love Strange Days, and it's it is a shame that that movie didn't click because that's a good one. And it, with that whole cyberpunk genre of the mid to late 1990s, you know, you've got your Johnny Mnemonics, you got you got your uh, uh, what was the what was the Ed, Edward Furlong Frank Langella one? Brain Scan? Yeah, something like that. I know the yeah. one. Yeah, the, 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 the one where they were trying to make that new Freddy Krueger guy. Yeah, 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 th- yeah, that one. But, man, Strange Days rocks. Strange Days is a solid one. It's a great movie. I think part of maybe one the reason it didn't click was they only set it four years in the future, and they locked it into a specific date. That, I think, oh. was the only thing that was short-sighted about the film. Well, also, the the ad campaign for it was really weird, because I remember seeing the trailers for it, when it came out and it was just like Ray Fiennes just looking into the camera and talking to you and it he didn't was trying really... to sell you a squid set. Yeah, he was he was doing that and it was just kind of weird. It was like it was like it didn't really tell me anything about what the movie was about. And I remember being in the audience with like my dad and just being kind of like, what was what was that? So, I mean, the ad campaign for it was I, I didn't even get a sense of what the movie was about until I saw Siskel and Ebert review it. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, this this looks this actually looks really kind of interesting. And then it was gone from theaters. <laughs> uh, and I, I didn't see it until it hit video and I rented it. Yeah, the TV ads for the movie gave a little bit more about it, what it was about, and that's what sold me on it. And for some reason, I just didn't, didn't see a lot of TV ads for it. Yeah, I absolutely love the film. I think it's a phenomenal film. That if you, the listeners, have not seen, you need to go see Strange Days. It's worth it. From Oscar-winning director Catherine Bigelow. Now Oscar-winning director Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> <laughs> and then next one, I have not seen this, the 1995 Scarlet Letter. I've never liked the story, so I can't see how I would have given a crap about this movie in 95. It's just kind of campy, really. It's It's funny. It's unintentionally funny. It's not good. <laughs> it's just, it's it's you know it, it's just a trash movie, really. It's like it's like I wish this movie was. I wish they did this on Cinemax because at least it would have had a lot more nudity in it. It's 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 just kind of trashy, is all, and not even not really not in a good way because I don't think there's actually all that much nudity in it. Like it really holds back a lot, but it's it's unintentionally kind of funny. 
I watched that movie instead of reading the book in high school, and when I had to write the essay on it... Oh, you, te- you screwed yourself, didn't you? Yeah, the teacher could tell. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> All right, then next, I haven't seen this movie since 95. I liked this movie a lot in 95 because they showed a lot of skin. Jade with Michael Bean and David... David was David Crusoe in that one? David Crusoe. Yeah, he was. was. David Caruso... Linda Ferentino, Michael Bean with a mustache always throws me off because he just looks weird. I remember this movie showed a lot of skin, and in 95, I liked that. Yeah, and it, it did sleaze better than The Scarlet Letter did. It had. I remember having a... I haven't seen it since 95, but I remember kind of liking it because I, I do like David Caruso. I, I do. And like before then, Kiss of Death came out, and I Kiss really like... Kiss of Death liked- is awesome. Kiss of Death is awesome, and I, I really like Kiss of Death. And so there was Jade with Caruso again. William Friedkin directed it. It's a sleaze flick. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I in 95, I, I remember like I remember having a really solid car chase in it. It was after Kiss of Death is the reason I watched Jade. It was yeah. David Caruso. You just, you just wanted to see if there was going to be a scene of Nicolas Cage bench-pressing strippers. Absolutely. Every movie needs that. Yes. Now, next we come to the biggest box office loser of all time, 1995's Cutthroat Island. Budget of $115 million, only made back just over $18 million. Almost $146 million adjusted. Mm -hmm. That's a bomb. Yeah, that's a bomb. Yes. Uh, that that's a bomb. Adjusted and not adjusted. When you switch around those numbers, is it still number one or is yes? Uh, yeah, yeah. It it's is still number okay. one with having lost ninety six million dollars non adjusted. That's you know that movie they they put a lot into advertising for that. When I saw previews for it, I thought it looked pretty good. I didn't think it had a bad advertising campaign. Just no one was interested. No and it's because was... it's not good. I don't think it's that bad. Oh, I I hated it. It's... I caught it on cable and I hated it. It's not number one biggest bomb of all time bad, really. I don't think it really deserves that. I don't think it's that bad of a movie. It's it's nothing I would seek out to watch just leisurely, really. But I saw it when it came out, and I don't know. I thought the movie was... It was it was better than pirates. It's not it hard was, to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stuff was actually happening in this one. Frank Langella rocked in the movie. Frank Langella rocked in Masters of the Universe. So come on, he can rock in anything. Uh, he rocked more in this. Yeah, I thought I, he was. He chewed scenery left and right in in Cutthroat Island. Uh, I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was that bad of a movie, honestly. I didn't see it, and the reason why I didn't is because the trailers, I was like, okay, it looks like it could be a fun action movie, but Gina Davis, I mean, I just have never been a fan of hers. She's always bored me in just about everything except Beetlejuice. Transylvania 65000, she's great in that, or her boobs are at least. Earth now, Girls are easy, dude. All right, and then we come to, I have not seen White Squall, but I remember the ad campaign and just going, you know what? I'm not into sailing. I'm not into boating. I really don't care about White Squall. Same reaction, dude. Same exact reaction. I love Jeff Bridges. I love Jeff Bridges as much as the next guy. 
nothing about the ad campaign for that movie made me interested in it in any way, shape, or form. It, it just was looked- like a movie that was made for sailing enthusiasts, and you don't do that on a $38 million budget. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen it, so I, maybe it's an okay movie. I, I don't know, but I've, I've never I've never had any interest in seeing that movie. Same here. It's That movie's not made for me. And then, then we go to, again in 96, Mary Riley. Again, I don't care. And, you gotta say it like the trailer, dude. Mary Riley. Well, and one of the other big problems, I hate Julia Roberts as an actress. I think she... at for the 90s, was one of the worst mainstream actresses out there. I just, she's never sold me on a performance once. So her being the star, and from all the behind-the-scenes hoopla of her basically calling the shots, you know, that this was her star vehicle, I'm like, no, I don't care, I'm not doing this. I didn't have any interest in seeing it. There's been movies that she's done that I thought were fine. She's had, she's even had some performances that I've liked. She's usually the same in most things she's in, but when she does something a little different, I thought she's been okay. Like when she was in uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, I really liked her in that. And uh, in, in in this one, I just didn't care. Really, I, I I saw bits and pieces of it. It was just kind of boring, you know. You're watching this movie and you're like, oh, I really wish it was more so about John Malkovich than Julia Roberts. Yeah, the, the focus is wrong, and we'll be getting to another one down the line where I'll be talking about how they focus on the wrong aspect that would have made a better movie. My thoughts were, because when it came out, I was like, this looks like a horror film for chicks. I'm just going to pass on it. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. I think that, I think I read something in Fangoria where that, that is kind of what they were going for, that horror films are traditionally a male audience. And we want to make a horror film that we, that chicks will really go to that. It's like a horror chick flick. Then we go to Brad, you and I have discussed this. I never even saw this movie because I just don't care. Tony Scott's The Fan. <laughs> you never saw The Fan? Nope, I never it's... have. I, even when we did the retrospective, I said I didn't, and I still haven't because I just don't care. I've seen it. It's your typical stalker flick. It is. It's. It, it, that's one of those, like, why are these people involved with this movie? And why is this a... How how is this a theatrical how is this script a theatrical release? When I like, saw how, the no exactly when I saw the trailer for it, it looked like an HBO original film. Yeah, like how it, it, you know I mean like in 1996 uh, in 1996 I mean like De Niro's going down this well again. Okay, and why is Tony Scott directing this? Why is Wesley Snipes doing this? And I, I saw it. I when it hit video, I, I rented it. It just is what it is. It's it's a stalker flick. That's it. and not a really even expensive a, one. A, yeah, for some reason, I have no idea where the money went in that. But why does this stalker flick have to be this damn expensive? But it's just uninteresting. There's nothing. There's nothing interesting about it. There isn't. I mean, the acting you have. You have De Niro and Wesley Snipes there, so the acting's not terrible, but it's just, it's just, why? Why why does this movie exist? The only reason I watched this movie is because I saw a movie from the 1980s It was the same title and same kind of premise of being a stalker film. And is this I liked... actually a remake? No, I, no I know it's what, not. I know what movie Alex is talking about. It's, yeah. it's called The Fan, but it's about, like, 
some gay actor pursuing this actress. Oh, okay. It's a stalker flick, but this one's not a remake, and it's I didn't think it was as good as that similarly titled 1980s movie. Yeah. All right, now the last one we're going to deal with tonight, we will deal with 1990 most the rest of 1997 through 2013 next week. The last one we'll deal with tonight is the animated major bomb Cats Don't Dance, which I think was ill-conceived from the get-go because what is that thing that that all kids want? Dancing and singing, right? Or do they just want a goddamn cartoon? <laughs> I but, but but hey but that that could go along with your thing though because it says cats don't dance so maybe there's no dancing in the movie. It's kind of playing the title against the trailer, isn't it? <laughs> oh, see, there's there's your mistake. You shouldn't have watched the trailer. I don't remember what movie I saw it before. The trailer, I just went, the hell is this? Yeah, that's I didn't even know that I didn't even know it was a bomb. Like, cause I saw I saw the trailer and was just immediately like, well, okay, this isn't for me. Whatever, I'm gonna go see something else. Why would I go see this? And it it came and went. I didn't really hear anything about it. And hell, this is the first I've said anything about cats don't dance since 1997. Well, and it it also had okay Scott Bakula. He was never really a big name, but I've always liked him as an actor. But Jasmine Guy. Has she been popular since she left the Cosby show other than her stint on Dead Like Me? Which would be <laughs> years later? What the hell would... Yeah, Jasmine Guy in a $32 million film. She's she's our star, right? <laughs> Why would I have watched Cats Don't Dance? Because you're younger than me and maybe was... you just ran across it? I don't know. I was 17 when this movie came out. I hated everything you know animated at this point in my life. I, was my say, son I, was... think I'm, I think I'm younger than both of you. I didn't say cats don't dance. <laughs> my son was four, and even he didn't give a crap. So we will we will finish the rest of 1997 through 2013 next week. In the meantime, where can we find Alex, who's slightly been asserting himself more, Jowski? You can find me at geekjuicemedia.com. What about Brad, the smooth voice of the West? <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at uh, www.thecinemasnob.com. That's T H E C I N. I think you just made most of our male listeners come. <laughs> you can find me 1201beyond.com, 1201beyond at gmail.com to contact the show, as well as I'm also a contributor at geekjuicemedia.com. Have a nice night, guys. <laughs>